Here we go, Monday night, once again, time for Ira on Sports. True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo. Great show on tap, as we have for you every Monday night. And Ira, we always let people know the show is not live, taped it earlier, and you're not in studio. There's always a good reason for that. What are you up to? I'm down in Houston, Texas for the national championship game. I am so pumped for this game and uh, Michigan versus Washington. And there's tons of excitement. I mean, there's sometimes you go to cities. Houston, I've been here for the Final Four last year, and that was great. I was here for the Texans play the Steelers, but the sense of excitement, this is the Final Four type atmosphere. I, I, I'm at the team hotel. It was at the team hotel where Michigan had the Michigan team hotel. I mean, there was a zillion people at the Hilton Americas. It's the biggest lobby you can imagine a hotel, just full of bands, like five different bars, all packed full of people. Everyone is standing in the lobby. Uh, all around, the pep rallies, the events, this has been, I mean, this is tremendous. This is really, uh, there's, and I own I, I, see very few Washington fans and tons of Michigan fans. We'll see at the game, but uh, this is this is very exciting. Yeah, I was kind of wondering what the split was going to be, you know, 70-30 Michigan fans or how it was going to pan out, but not surprised to see that they're uh, overwhelming. Let's go back to how we got here. Rose Bowl, you were there. This was a great game, Ira, and and I, I, I thought that Michigan was going to win the game. They did, 27-20 over Alabama, but Alabama looked okay in some parts, regardless, fantastic game to be at. Weird game. Michigan, first play, McCarthy, J.J. McCarthy almost throws an interception. Then, uh, then Bama punts it, Michigan fumbles. Then they get the ball, and it's that, you know, because it, 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 it's 7 nothing. And this felt like the TCU game. It just felt like McCarthy threw an interception. I was right there on the sidelines. I'm sitting literally the, like in the fifth row right behind the Michigan bench. And it was just, the atmosphere was great just to be down that low at the Rose Bowl game. It's my fourth Rose Bowl game. That I thought was great. And I just think that, you know, the tailgates before was like, super exciting. We went to the tailgates and, and all that. The, the, the pageantry of the Rose Bowl and everything about that. Now, and just being down low and, you know, of course, everyone's standing and excited. And, and the B-2 bomber flies overhead. I actually saw the B-2 bomber people uh, in the lobby, the, the service members that were doing it. I say, what's, what's flying over? And they go, we're going we're gonna to have the B-2 bomber. So that was great. And uh, there was a great video of someone or a drone or, or some plane over the bomber or what it was going over the stadium. I thought it was one of the best pictures I've ever seen. But that atmosphere was great. But McCarthy throws that intercept. The interception was they called it an interception. It was reversed sort of on the field. And then they fumbled the ball on the punt. And it just felt like, what is Michigan's problem? Because against TCU, they got so far behind and then everything went out of control. But I give Blake Gorham credit. He's the one who saw this game because suddenly they handed to him six yard run, then a twenty one yard run, and then they uh, and then he went. It was a fourth and one. He got five yards and he scored the touchdown. And I think when that made it seven seven, that settled it down. They're not going to let go down twenty one nothing. I thought that was really key and uh, and to go up there and and then make it seven seven. And then they scored at the end of the half. McCarthy's pass to Tyler Moore's huge breakdown on the part of Bama, but they missed the extra point, made it thirteen seven. But in that half, they controlled it one hundred ninety seven yards ninety six. Bama, I mean, Michigan really took control and, and did everything in that first half. But I think the game could have been, I said, without Blake Corm getting those runs and sort of settling it down, I think that Michigan could have looked at themselves almost in a TCU-type situation. I, I forgot to mention, John Colasar is going to join us at 745. Tell us a little bit about John. Uh, John is a former famous Michigan graduate. He was a star for four years for Michigan's team. He actually caught in his, as his freshman year against Ohio State a 75-yard pass from uh, Jim Harbaugh uh, to beat Ohio State, and so he's and, and his son plays with the team. So here we have a former Michigan star, uh, been involved with the program. Can't wait for him to talk about everything about Michigan football and, and getting involved. I tried to get a wash. I'll tell you this. I tried to get a Washington writers on. I couldn't get any Washington writers on for this. So I don't know why we were able to get everybody else, but but Washington was the only team for this whole playoff run that I wasn't able to get Texas, but Bama and Michigan, but not not any Washington. Yeah, we have great relationships with some of these bigger schools and. and- I can't kind of uh, bring uh, Washington into the fold. Do you want to talk a little bit about the the experience too? Before you know, before we uh, completely break down the game, I know one thing that you said on this show that that stands out to me, and I've kind of taken into consideration when I watch some of these big college games, is that these stadiums are older and and they're not like the amenities you're going to see when you go to these brand new billion dollar stadiums around the the country. And I'm looking at this and like, well, yeah, I was right. Like this does look like just not a modern facility at all, but still just the the venue and the pageantry is kind of what brings it together. 
there's a lot of history with it. Unlike Michigan Stadium uh, and some of the other historic stadiums, I've done Texas Stadium this year in Austin, uh, where where the Longhorns play. They, they haven't upgraded it, so it's really like falling apart. The seats are falling apart. Everything <laughs> in the stadium's falling apart. There's no there's no there's no indoor outdoor. So it's uh, it, it it you know that's that's a that's that's a major problem in terms of how everything's set up in that stadium. But short of that, it's it's just it was and you park at a in a where there's a uh, what is it? I like guess golf course. You park all around these golf courses and walk around there. And then, of course, when it rains, it gets muddy there. But there was no rain this time. I was here for the Utah game last year, and there was tons of rain. Okay, so we'll, we'll break down the game further. And it, you brought up, brought up Blake Corum, and I, I was doing some research on him this weekend. Kid's really a, a fantastic story. He, he was commuting two hours each way to school every day in high school, getting up at 4.30 in the morning, you know, working with trainers after practice till 8 p.m. Just... Completely dedicated to the game. This wasn't his best game by any means, but still it seemed like he was the kind of the guy who was in the driver's seat for Michigan most of the time. Yes, and I think the fact that when I think this season started after last year's loss at TCU and everyone expected Blake Corum to be in the NFL draft, put his name in there. You don't want to see running backs stay in college an extra year when they don't have to, when they could be a, a fairly you know high round, not first round, but you know third or fourth, fifth round draft pick and play in the NFL. And he chose to come back to Michigan, and he chose to come back. And, so we have, and, that's, and I think the fact that when, I was shocked when he said I'm going back to Michigan. I remember he ended last year with some injuries, and when he decided to come back and to see how he played – it's just amazing, and, and I said that he really made all the all the key things. So, and, the, and then the second half, it was a weird second half. Four straight punts for each team. Michigan, of course, is up thirteen seven, and then thirteen uh, ten, and then it's no scoring in the third quarter. Michigan, I felt, was dropping passes. McCarthy threw some good passes, and the, the players uh, had some drops. And then Bama had this good drive, made it seventeen thirteen. Michigan punts. So Bama had the ball like I don't know twelve minutes left in the game. And Milrow, this is a chance for Bama to make it a two-score. You know, always want these two-score games. And Dan and Milrow fumbles. And I think when he fumbled that ball, that was just a terrible fumble. Michigan went and missed a field goal, and Bama made a field goal. But it still, that was that fumble was a chance, I think, to really you know make that a two-score because they were only up now twenty to thirteen instead of you know instead of you know twenty you know more more points than that. And then Michigan gets the ball with four forty-one left. And that's just the drive. You know, they had fourth and two on their own 33. They threw a pass to Blake Corm. They don't make that pass, they're probably the game's over. The McCarthy had a 60-yard run. Roman Wilson, a 20-yard pass. And then Corm just runs it in for a touchdown. Just amazing to tie it 20-20. But I think one of the key plays of the game that people are not talking about was that Bama gets the ball back. They were in a minute 24 left. And they had it then on third and 10 on their own 37-yard line. And Milrow threw, threw it to McClellan. And McClellan, I'm looking at this play, and I'm thinking, wow, T.S. McClellan's going to have this huge run. And Wallace for uh, uh, Michigan tackled him, a one-on-one tackle. Stops him there. Now, remember, if he gets through that, gets a first down, then they kick up, you know, run the clock out, get a, you know, kick the field goal, and then Bama's now here in Houston, not Michigan. But then it forced it overtime. Bama scores, of course. I mean, uh, Michigan scores. Blake Corum just goes over five uh, players, scores the touchdown, and then Alabama gets the ball, and it's sort of a mess at the end. And everyone's saying what the final play with Bill Rowe on fourth and one where he decided to run up the middle. But you know what? Everyone said they were going to do that. I expected that because that's what they really ran. He ran the ball uh, 21 times in the game. So I expected a quarterback draw. I wasn't, you know, wasn't surprised by that. And I'm not blaming Saban for it because really at that point, that was what they were trying to get done. And, uh, but they really, I think, blew their chance to win with that chance with 124 left and also when they had a chance in the fourth quarter when I thought they had control of the game and to be able to take advantage of that. I, the only thing I was mad about on the draw is is that he ran directly into like four guys. <laughs> He'll try to get around them a little bit. I know you're supposed to hit your hole, but when the hole closes, go around it, you know, find a different solution. That, that was the only reason I was disappointed in that. Yeah, I mean, I think that was that was unusual. I, I feel like at that point when I was at the game, when Corum scored that touchdown so easily, it just felt like the momentum was totally with, with Michigan. Yeah. And I just felt like when Bama got the ball, they were struggling. Now, both these teams had one crazy ending games. Moro was you know, third and fourth and 21, and he scored that. And Michigan had one. Though. They both were teams that refused to lose. But I felt that in that fourth quarter when I thought Bama sort of took control of that game and their inability to close that out. Now, they're a very, very young team. It's one of the youngest teams. And, but Michigan's experience 
you know, they did not get, you know, they, they fought back and won that and played well. And I think that was the key to it. I mean, it, for that was, I think that, I mean, McCarthy was 17 for 27, 220 yards, three touchdowns, but McCorum running for 80 yards, a touchdown and catching for 35. I think that was, that was really important. Ira on sports, true oldies channel on Mike Balsamo. Of course, you can follow Ira anywhere on social media. It's at Ira on sports. Let's talk about the Sugar Bowl here, Ira. And I got to I gotta give you a little credit here. I made some money on this game, thanks to you. And <laughs> <laughs> I liked Washington. And, I, and it was because, I mean, going back to like week four, you were talking about, man, I really like this Washington offense. They don't play a ton of defense. <laughs> but still, they Michael Penix, when he's on, he's on. Nice win for Washington, 37-31 uh, over Texas. Yeah, and I'm going to say something when I, we start predicting the next this game tonight. But I felt that Texas's defense was not. I watched Texas give up, you know, touchdown after touchdown. I just felt that Texas's defense wasn't great, and I was looking for Washington to run out there fast, which they did. You know, they were leading. Washington was up 37-28 with 2:40 left in the game, and then they let Texas, you know, kick the field goal. But then Washington had the ball, and that was. I mean, that end of the game with 109 left, they have the ball, and they could not. Now, this is why you always keep timeouts in the second half because without the timeout, the game would have been over. But the fact that Texas had all three timeouts, they were able to. Washington really running the ball a certain way could have left if Dylan Johnson doesn't get injured, you know, and, and, and unable to get up, and then they had to stop the play. That game would have been over. But boy, Texas then, but that just shows you Washington's defense. They gave up the passes. Uh, Texas drove all the way down to the 10, you know, 12 yard line with 15 seconds left, and they were throwing the ball into the end zone with a chance to win the game, which was, un- which you could imagine a few minutes before yeah. that. But, so that's where I think that, you know, again, Washington, that was a big win for them. I just, I wasn't impressed. I mean, I think the two best teams was, were playing was Alabama and Michigan, and I think the second two were Washington and Texas. And that's what, and, and uh, Texas looked great for being in there. I think they really missed Jonathan Brooks, their star running back. I think having him in the game would have made a difference. But, uh, but, but, you know, big win for Washington. They're still undefeated and uh, get a chance to play. Uh, you know, they, it's weird. Washington now was an underdog against Oregon in the, in the Pac-12 championship game. They won that 10-point underdog. Underdog in the Texas game, they win that. And now they're underdog in this game. So for a team that's undefeated, number two in the country, they've been an underdog a fair number of times. Yeah, and I'm I'm probably going to have my money heading their, their way a little bit later today. We'll talk about that game in just a second. But you are in Houston, Ira. This is you're no stranger to Houston. You were there for the final four, you know, a couple of months ago. Tell us about what's going on there. Because like you said, the pageantry, and I'm I'm sure, you know, the Michigan fans are are really showing up and showing out. Yeah. I mean, that's, what's been so great. It's almost like there's, you feel like you're in Ann Arbor when you're here. And I know I'm hanging out with, with a lot of the Michigan, my friends are, I have a ton of Michigan friends. I'm with that group. Uh, but it is, it is exciting. There was a, a, a event at the Rustic, which is this in downtown Houston. Houston's a great city to host because you have the baseball stadium down there, the football, the basketball arenas there, there's tons of hotels. It's all walking distance and you have a lot of functions there. Now the stadium, the football stadium is outside the city, which makes it unfortunate because I wish that was downtown too. Like in Indianapolis has everything down there. But we went to this event at the Rustic for alumni function. It was great. And the president, their president is so pro Jim Harbaugh, so pro Michigan. He's great. I mean, you would wish, I don't think many, I could imagine another president of a school being this active and pro football and just enjoys the team, knows the players, was very, gave a great speech. And then I got to meet Tara Harbaugh with Jim Harbaugh's wife, which was cool. And she was great talking to everybody. Uh, so it was, it was good just to be there and see the, the passion for the Michigan fans. And then, of course, I mentioned before about the team hotel and doing that and, uh, and everything. You know, it, was, it was also fun. Last night, we went to dinner at this, uh, this restaurant last night in this room. We had a group of like 20. And we had it, it was like a private room with a TV. So I got to watch the Dolphins. You know, it's great. It's weird when you're at these events, you know, you're, you're trying to watch sports on my phone and everything. And like, there's a huge 40 inch big screen TV in this room. I watched the entire game for dinner. We had a three hour dinner. So I got to watch the entire game. So that was exciting. It was, it's, it's been fun here. Uh, pep rally they had out at Rice University and it was packed at their indoor gymnasium. It was a, it was a little flat. Not, you know, I, I think I should put together these pep rallies a little bit, but it was just, the atmosphere has been great. And to being, that's what makes college football. You don't get this in uh, NFL. Like, you know, you go to the championship games, you're not going to get this sense of, of uh, even, even for a Super Bowl, you don't get this where all the fans show up. It's, this, is, this is what makes college football, what I love about it. Absolutely. And do you want to talk a little bit about the history here? I mean, growing up, you know, as, an, as a preteen and a teenager, Michigan was kind of a big deal. But it's been a while since Michigan's been back in this spot. 
Well, they won the last championship in 1997 with Charles Woodson, Lloyd Carr. They beat Washington State in the Rose Bowl. They split the title with Nebraska. Washington hasn't won a title since 1991 when they were undefeated and split with Miami. So this is, but I think this has been coming. You know, this is, remember, years ago, they were a couple, three, four years ago, you know, Jim Harbaugh take a pay cut. You know, they felt like he's the same guy. He can't beat Ohio State. And just, Switching the narrative, like Michigan's just too much of an academic school. They're never going to be a top football school. I give Jim Har- I give the school a ton of credit for sticking with Harbaugh. I give Jim Harbaugh a ton of credit for sticking with it, and their fan base is great. I mean, this is something that if they lose this game, I don't want to be around Michigan fans. They will be absolutely devastated, but I think this is building up. I mean, this, this team represents the school. This team represents the history, um, and I just this is, this is pretty amazing in terms of what Michigan's been through. And, you know, Washington's sort of been with a transfer portal, bringing in Penix and everything. But, you know, a lot could be said that a few years ago when Michigan played Georgia in the Orange Bowl, in the college football semifinals, and they used, instead of Kane McNamara, they brought J.J. McCarthy in. And people said, oh, wow, McNamara is this great quarterback. Why are you bringing McCarthy in? I think giving McCarthy the experience in that game has helped them. They went last year. Of course, they had that great season. Then lose to TCU, and that was a terrible loss. And now to come back now and just he keeps – it's sort of like, you know, this is definitely just like climbing. The president said that this climbing Mount Everest. It's like it's one step, one step, one step. And it's been a, a multi-year process to climb Mount Everest. And now they're just a few hours away from – winning this and Washington is in the way. So let's talk about the game itself here. Um, Michigan is the favorite. So minutes before we, we, we did this show, I was listening to the radio and Michael Lombardi, who friend of the show, former NFL GM, he was on saying he would take Michael Penix right now. Number one over Caleb Williams, over Drake may, if he has that performance tonight and blows the scoreboard up, we, that might be a reality. I, I don't think it's too crazy to think about. I think that's exactly correct. I mean, I think that if he has, I mean, he has Romeo Dunas um, as one of his wide receivers, but they have a great wide receiver. They, their, their offensive line is tremendous. You know, everything that when you think about Washington, about what they do in terms of offense, what panics, the, begin, the first part of the year were amazing. I mean, they dominated from September to October. Then they play Oregon in one of the best games, I think the game of the year, where they actually won 38-33, and you're like, wow. But after that game, they, beat, they have not beat a team by more than 10 points. Arizona State, 15-7, not a good team. They gave up 33 points to Stanford, 42-33. USC, 52-42, and USC scored almost that will against them. Utah, they gave up, Utah doesn't score points against anybody. They gave up 28 against Utah, only won that 35-28. They beat Oregon State, 22-20. Washington State, 24-21. And then they go in against Oregon. They're a 10-point underdog. That's why they were a 10-point underdog. And they win that game, 34-31. And then they beat Texas, 36-31. But they've been giving up you know, all these scores in the 30s, in the 20s. That's where the defense, I think. And now panics. the problem with him is he started the year 20 touchdowns, two interceptions, by far the favorite to win the Heisman. But why didn't he win the Heisman? Why did Jalen Daniels win the Heisman for LSU? Because after that, he was 13 touchdowns and six interceptions. He did not have a, you know, but he came big in the Texas game. He came up big in the Oregon game and played really well there. I think when my pick of how this game is going to work is I think that Washington will score, will have some big plays, but I really don't think that Washington's defense can stop. I, I, I think that Michigan puts their number up. I think they run the ball, they run the ball, they run the ball, they score almost every time they have the ball. It's going to be like, I think, like 42-21, something like that, where it's going to be this, this, this scoring game where I just don't think Washington can stop, whereas I think Michigan's defense you know, is great. I think Michigan, Michigan held Milro to – to less passing than Iowa had against them. I mean, Michigan's defense is tremendous. They make big plays. They tackle one-on-one, and that's why I think their defense, that's why I predict Michigan to win the game big by about 20 points. Yeah, I I agree with you in a sense that Michigan should be able to impose their will against a bad defense here, and the way they run the ball so efficiently, I could totally see those 12-play, 8-minute, 9-minute touchdown drives that's just going to keep Washington off the field and and – you know, they're not going to be able to stop them if the game script goes that way. If it doesn't, I mean, Washington can really score points. And like we said, this has really been a tale of two seasons for Washington. First two months, great. Second two months, not great. Win the Pac-12 championship game. And now they just seem like a team of, to me, it's a little bit of a team of destiny. I know Michigan's got their huge story to this this season. But I think this game's going to be closer. I, I, I'm debating taking the points tonight and taking Washington I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm excited. This is one of the more exciting championships I can remember, just because I really don't know what I'm going to see from either opponent. Well, I mean, the other thing is about Dylan Johnson. Dylan Johnson is the running back for Washington, and he's had 
just the weirdest season. I mean, he, against against USC, he ran for 256 yards. Up into that game, he only had one 100-yard game. And But he's had games where he's had like six yards rushing, six, 89 yards rushing. You know, it's not really good years. But against Oregon, he ran great against Oregon again. And then against Texas, he was struggled. He only had 21 carries for 49 yards. Definitely was injured with a foot injury. Averaged two yards a carry. I don't think he's going to be healthy. If you watch him at the end of the game, I cannot believe he'll be healthy for this game. I'd be shocked. I mean, he's going to supposedly give it a go and see what happens. But I think if they don't have a running game and they're just dependent on their passing game, I think that's going to be, you know, that's where I think you're going to see Penix versus some interceptions. Because as much as, as great as Penix is and as great as I've seen him play against Arizona State, he was terrible. He made mistakes. I, I, I think he has the potential to have this awesome game. And this is the game. And this is when you, if he has this, you know, the, the Vince Young type game, this is what's going to make it the number, you know, the, he, he doesn't need to do any combines or work. Yeah. <laughs> he has a great game here. This is this, this is the showcase. Mill, tens of millions of people are going to be watching the game. All the, anybody, everyone from the NFL is watching the game. It's the biggest stage. If he comes through with this and has this game that, you know, he thinks he's going to have in Washington and they win, he could definitely be the number one pick in the draft. You know, it's interesting. Walter football, we, we obviously have Walter football, um, you know, Walter and Charlie on every year around draft time, but they have JJ McCarthy going five to the Giants right now. And I'm looking at, like, why is Michael Penix a second-round pick? <laughs> like, I, I just don't get it, and I wouldn't take McCarthy over him. But obviously, you know, these guys know uh, more about this than I do. Let's move over to the NFL, though. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. John Colasar joins us at 745, and you can find Ira anywhere at Ira on Sports. It was the game of the, of the week, the game of the season, pretty much, if you're an AFC East follower. Buffalo taking on Miami. And this was one... I don't know why I liked Buffalo in this spot. I know Miami had some injuries, but I, I thought Miami was going to do a little more still. Buffalo gets the win, gets the division 21 to 14 over the Dolphins. This game was lost, though, a month ago. The, the loss to Tennessee that Miami had yes. at home, inexcusable. And, and because if Miami wins that game, you know what this game would have mattered to Miami? Nothing. They would have sat Tua. They would have sat the entire team. They would have forfeited this game. They would have done anything. They, that loss, because then they would have never, that, that loss was, was a disaster for them in terms of, of everything. And, and, and that's why now they're going to be on the road against Kansas City instead of having hosting a home game. And, and they put themselves in this position. They literally, that loss to Tennessee when they're up two touchdowns with, with two minutes to go in the game and blow a lead like that. And one thing, which is both on the offense and defense, the offense, knowing the situation and knowing a first down, one first down wins that game. They can't get a first down against the Tennessee team that was just playing out the string. And the defense letting Tennessee, which could not score against anybody, go up and down the field twice. Just an embarrassment. And that game was cost. That's why they're in this situation. Now they're going to be playing in zero-degree temperatures at Kansas City, at Patrick Holmes, instead of hosting probably like, you know, or, you know they would have hosted the Steeler, you know, or someone that hosted, hosted the game. Uh, it's just, just an embarrassment that Miami lost the game. Yeah, the difference between home versus Mason Rudolph and on the road in zero degrees versus Patrick Mahomes uh, that doesn't look good now looking back on it. We're going to talk in a little bit about losing to Tennessee and why that's something you just can't do. But any takeaways from this game? This was Miami's offense looked like it was, it was going to go at, at first and then they just kind of sputtered out. And, and next thing you know, Buffalo's got the lead after some nice special teams work. Well, I think what happened is that my, the Bills, 12-play, 80-yard drive, they got third and goal in the five, then Josh Allen throws an interception. Well, I think Diggs went the wrong way. It's not really his fault, but, you know, it's an interception at the end of Miami punts. Then it's fourth and two on the 35. Allen throws another interception, and then Miami has a 7 nothing lead. So you're like, the Bills are dominating this game, but they keep turning the ball over. Then they finally score on the tip pass in the end zone. But Miami drove down, made it 14-7, and then the Bills go down – 10 play, 73 yard drive. They get down to the two yard line. Time runs out. It was a mess. Actually, he complete, Allen completed a touchdown. The receiver dropped it. But you're looking at the situation instead of it's 14 7 at halftime. And I'm thinking this could be 28 14, the Bills. It seemed like they had, they left three good touchdown chances, you know, off the board. And the second half starts, punts, punts, and everything. And then Allen threw for a touchdown, uh, you know, threw for a touchdown to Sherfield dropped the ball <laughs> again another drop touchdown and then he fumbles the ball and you're like wow the Finns could win this game they go and they punt it and Hardy's turn punt return for 96 yards you know to tie the game at 14-14 in the third well, amazing but total breakdown on Miami's part you know how in the world do you let that happen uh, you know special teams play just disaster and then they then they built had another touchdown drive and then Miami had a three and out uh, and, uh, and and the build, uh, you know three and out and then they still had a chance because they Stop Josh Allen on a fourth down play, and Miami had the ball first and 10, 37, 147 to go, chance to tie the game. 
and uh, pass interference was on Hill. And now on that play, then Hill was out of the game. There's no Hill. There's no Waddle. And then Tua throws the interception, going to our friend Chase Claypool, which is, you know, Chase Claypool somehow, you know, ruins Ben Rossenberg's pretending. <laughs> it's amazing how many passes. But he throws an interception to Chase Claypool, uh, throwing to Chase, to Chase Claypool to end the game. But uh, it was just a bad game for Josh Allen, you know, he talked about how, well, they, you know, we ran the ball. Some games they didn't need me. I, I got sort of like working a group project and don't get credit. You know, I didn't do any work and still got an A. But he had almost 360 yards, two touchdowns, the two bad interceptions and a fumble. But he ran the ball, 15 carries for 67 yards, and his runs were tremendous. I mean, they were showing the clips between Elway and Allen. They look exactly alike in terms of how they run and how they play. And for him to overcome those two interceptions and play and win, that was key. But Tua was just 17 for 27, 173 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. He did not have a great game at all, and uh, that was. And he had a chance. He had his moment. I, I ran into a former Dolphin player here, and he was real critical of Tua. The first thing he said was, "This was Tua's chance, and he's not the guy." He had his chance to tie that game and lead the team down, and he's not the guy to do it. So it's really. I mean, I'm not. Look, Tua's had a tremendous year. It was almost an MVP conversation most of the year, but to now. Now to be forced to go on the road at zero degree temperatures in Kansas City, I think is a tough task. With all the injuries that the Dolphins have, I think, but again, they are set in this place with all the injuries, with everything, and going on the road because they lost to Tennessee. Otherwise, they would have a home game, and that from that. Well, it, it's what Michael Lombardi said, too. He said, imagine Michael Penix with the Dolphins, with his deep ball ability, where we know Tua wants to be a little more conservative, and he's not wrong. I mean, if if, if they had someone with an accuracy to the third level, like Penix, in the system, I mean, they could be scoring 50 points a week, <laughs> but regardless, it, this is the situation we're in. We're still rooting for the Dolphins here, and I, I don't... I think the Dolphins have a shot still. I, I don't think Kansas City's any good, Ira. If they can get Mostert back, if they can get a little more healthy, I don't see why they can't win in Kansas City, even if it's freezing against Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I don't see Patrick Mahomes losing. I, I absolutely, I, I saw the line. I cannot believe the line is three and a half. I just, I'm just in shock. I, I, I mean, I don't see them winning. I don't care. How, I just, it's not like Kansas City's playing. Kansas City and Philly are both similar. They've both been like leaking oil at the end of a race, you know, a car, whatever. But Kansas City actually has won a couple games where Philadelphia looked absolutely terrible. I just think, and I like, I trust Mahomes more than I trust Hurts. So I just think, I don't think Kid Dolphins have a chance. So I, let's talk about your Steelers here. So a ton of, Consideration is being given to Kevin Stefanski, the the Browns head coach, and also D'Amico Ryan's Houston uh, Texans head coach for Coach of the Year, and it's it's well deserved. But why is Mike Tomlin's name not being brought up here? This is a masterful season for him to take this team to the playoffs. I thought this was like a five-win team. I don't think they're very talented at all. He's been through a half a dozen quarterbacks. Mike Tomlin does what he does. This team is in the playoffs. Congratulations to you guys. I criticize Tomlin though for this. I think when you see what Mason Rudolph was 18 for 20 passing and he played, you know, he had some fumbles and struggles in this, but they won three in a row when they named him quarter, the quarterback. The losses to Arizona and New England were just inexcusable. And if they, if they would have, if Trubisky had, and if Steelers now, you know, would have won those, they would have been 12 and five. I mean, they would have, you know, they would have still been behind the Baltimore, but I feel like they, they waited too long to go to get rid of Trubisky when anyone watching it. So, and then I think, you know, with the question with Pickett and whatever, when you see Rudolph playing, I think that's one of the questions is why they waited, why they threw away those two games with Trubisky when they should have had Rudolph at the quarterback. Um, this was a crazy game. I mean, the Ravens played absolutely nobody. And that's, it's one of the advantages. The Pittsburgh has won all these weird type of games where the Ravens played. There was no Lamar Jackson, but no, any, there was like their whole defense was sitting too. And it was just in the pouring down rain. It was a complete mess. Teams were fumbling the ball. Everything was crazy. And they, in the, and the key play was, there was one big play of the game. And that's where, uh, where Rudolph threw to Deontre Johnson, a 70 yard touchdown pass. And that was, that, that, that was a 71 yard pass in the second, in the beginning of the fourth quarter that took the lead, made it 17, seven. They hung on to win the game. Now Steelers have won seven of the last eight meetings against the Ravens, which is, and four consecutive wins in Baltimore, and the Ravens didn't really care about this game at all. They had the number one seed locked up. But, no, I agree What the, when you look at the Steelers roster with all the injuries they've had on defense. I mean, they're playing fifth and sixth string linebackers. Now they lose T.J. Watt, who might not be available for the playoffs. This is pretty amazing how they've hung on and, and you know, and, and just, but I think the change, they didn't fire Canada too early enough. I think bringing Canada back this year, not making the, tri- the move to Rudolph, I think all those things, if he's not going to win the coach of the year, it's because that's his call, and I think he should have fired Canada earlier, and I think he should have went to Rudolph earlier. 
No, you're definitely not wrong there. It's funny you bring up Arizona. If this was like uh, the NCAA tournament and you had a list of bubble teams and Arizona was there, you'd be like, wow, look at their resume. I mean, they don't have many wins, but all their wins are against playoff teams. Like, let's go ahead and put the Cardinals into the tournament here just to see what will happen. Houston versus Indy. This game was massive. Um, CJ Stroud, once again, Prove to me why he is an elite quarterback. And this was from literally the first play of the game. You just looked at C.J. Stroud as a young man who knows what he's doing. He's here to win games in the NFL. I love him. I love this team. Very happy for them to take down this division. No, it was it was it was it was absolutely tremendous game. First play of the game, Nico Collins, you know, bomb heap. Nico Collins had nine catches, 195 yards for, for a Michigan player, so that's a good sign for Michigan. Uh, but Gardner Mitchell kept the Colts in this game. I mean, this was a winner go home. The winner wins the division, the loser is out. Uh, Texans had a great drive down, uh, and Texans and to Nico Collins they made it 23-17 on that. And then Indy had a chance to win. I mean, they they because they missed the extra point. And they're driving down at the end of the game. I'm sitting at the airport watching on my laptop, and, and it was third and two. Taylor runs it to the one, you know, gains one yard, and then. They throw a pass without with Taylor on the sideline. Gardner mentioned throws it to Goodson, who drops the ball. I mean, as much as you want to criticize the play call or Minshew or whatever, Goodson had the ball in his hands, and he could have ran another 10 yards for that. Terrible win to go on fourth down, and a big win for Houston. But that was, I mean, oh, devastating for Indianapolis because they really, that extra point would have been the summer. They would have scored a touchdown and then won the game 24-23. Ira, so about three months ago on this show, I made what turned out to be the most controversial comment I've ever made on this show. And I might be proved right, and I think I am, in that I would rather have C.J. Stroud than Trevor Lawrence. And is it time, Ira, that we put to bed the Trevor Lawrence is a generational quarterback conversation? Because it's clear that he's not. I mean, I've seen him mess things up more times than win things. He's got one good game on his resume when he came back to beat a Chargers team that that finds ways to lose no matter what they can. They did that in the playoffs last year. Great win for you there. You lost to Tennessee. This is inexcusable. You have to win this game. Horrible. And they go from winning the division to not even in the playoffs on Trevor Lawrence's back. Well, they were not only winning the division. Now, he did get injured and he played hurt and all these other things. So they were 8-3 and three and they were the number one seed in the NFC. So a few months, a month ago, a half ago, they were eight and three with the number one seed. Since then, they've lost five out of six games. It's pretty amazing to go from eight and three to lose five out of six, be out of the playoffs. Then you play a Tennessee team with Ryan Tannehill's last game as a Titan, Derrick Henry's last game as a Titan. A lot of Titans weren't playing in this game. The team, whatever. To, nothing to play for the Titans, everything to play for Jacksonville. And when you get down in a game, 21-13, 28-13, to be down in a game like that, it's just inexcusable. And then he played terrible, and then even at the end on the final drive where they had a chance, they were down 28-20, and he throws these, you know, on the, on the three and out. You know, we were arguing who had the worst last series, Tua or, uh, or you know, throwing the interception, or Trevor Lawrence just overthrowing everybody on that one pass. Just a terrible performance, and you're right. They're out of the playoffs, and I, I for a team that everyone say, boy, they're going to have the number one seed, the number two seed, though I'm going to host the game, all those things, and it just it, Trevor, this is this is bad. This is really bad for Doug Peterson. It's bad for Trevor Lawrence. This is a terrible, terrible loss uh, for Jacksonville to be out of the playoffs, and uh, just just really bad for them. Yeah, like what's the excuse for Trevor Lawrence now? Yeah, Urban Meyer was an unmitigated disaster. We know that. Since then, they got a running game. They have three weapons on the outside. They have a tight end. They've invested in the line. What's the excuse? You've got a lot more weapons than C.J. Stroud. You've got a lot more weapons than half the quarterbacks in this in this league. If you drafted Trevor Lawrence in fantasy, when they were winning these games in the middle of the season, yeah, they're winning. Trevor Lawrence, 212 yards, one touchdown. That, that These were his, his wins. He's not putting up 350 and three touchdowns. Like I was going to say, if you drafted Trevor Lawrence this year, you probably dumped him for a Baker Mayfield around week eight. Like, this is not... You can win games. That's fine. He's not elite. He's just not. And I think it's time. Just because you're a number one overall pick doesn't mean you're a great quarterback. You can win games. I don't think you're great. Well, I think Trevor Lawrence, I mean, the thing is he won the national championship when he was a sophomore. And I think since winning the national championship at Clemson, I think that, you know, puts you at a, at a level. And I just think that he came back his third year, did have a good, you know, again, his freshman he won. So then, but he, the last two years were, you know, were not as great as those, that, that first year that he had. 
as a freshman. And I think that's where it, step, it steps in in terms of it's just like we think of him as this great, the number one pick out of, out of high school, winning the national championship as a freshman, and he really hasn't, he's had drop-offs. And now this year and this, this last game was terrible. And he, he doesn't complete. He has a lot of the skills that Josh Allen has. He's big, he's strong, he runs, can run for first downs. But he's inaccurate on some short passes, which he saw with that last pass. He is not as, you know, he, he, and again, he has great weapons, but he's not an accurate passer enough at times in the games when you really need to make those big passes, and that's going to hold him back. And you're right, T.J. Stroud is in the playoffs, and Trevor Lawrence is out. Jets and Patriots. This, Ira, is the easiest under you could ever take in your life <laughs> as Bailey Zappi faced off against Trevor Simeon in a snowstorm. 17-3, Jets get the win. I think the real story here, though, is are the the Patriots retaining Bill Belichick? And it does look like that that's going to happen and probably the right call, I would say. I don't know what they're going to – I think they're going to keep – I don't think he's going to be fired. I don't – or leave. I just I – just, it's a weird situation. If they – if Kraft wanted to give him a vote of confidence, he had like the last 10 weeks to come out and say he's our quarter – you know, a coach for a long time. Uh, Belichick in his press conference said, I'm under contract. I don't know. I just – I find it – I find it strange that he was able to, you know – he went four and thirteen this year. That's terrible. I felt with his coaching, they could have worked something else. You know, win a couple more games, do a Mike Tomlin situation. He went from Mac Jones, Billy Zappi, but the fact that they discarded Tom Brady, you know, when Tom Brady had another three years left, uh, that was that's the scratch, the disaster because they they didn't have an answer. They, if Tom Brady had another quarterback, it's it's one thing to get rid of Joe Montana when you have Steve Young. But yet they brought in Cam Newton. Like, it did make sense. That's why that whole decision to get rid of Tom Brady made no sense at all. And I think that's what's going to – when he left – we, we talked about this on the show. There's no way that Tom Brady is going to you know, have a better end of the career than Belichick. No way. There's a 0% chance. But he did. He won the Super Bowl. He went to the playoffs two more times, had two other – three great years. And, uh, and then in the end, uh, uh, Belichick has been a disaster since Brady left. So it was just – but we'll see. I still can't see Kraft getting rid of. I can't see them ending this because he's just he, he's only 14 games away from being all-time win, the wins leader of coaching. But we'll see. It'll be. It could be by the time we air the show tonight. But I don't know if this <laughs> might take a couple days for them to make a decision. It will, I mean, don't forget, he tried to ship Tom Brady out of town for Jimmy Garoppolo like four years before that. I, he's been at. He's a horrible. He's a horrible evaluator of offensive talent, and I, I've heard the rumor is that they're going to retain him, but hire a GM and stop having it just be Belichick and his buddies r- running this team. He's horrible at, at drafting. He's horrible at evaluating offensive talent. That's that's the, the strategy for me. He can still game plan. I, I like what he does in games when he has you know players on the field, but he shouldn't be allowed near a draft again. Like, this is it's been a, a dumpster fire in there, and now all these bad drafts are stacking up, and this is why they are where they are. But they will have it. They're going to have one of the top picks in the draft, so they'll be able to get you know number uh, three pick, yeah. Tippy. So a tippy top quarterback, and the question is, is he the you know who what offensive coordinator is going to work with him? And it's amazing because they were so enthusiastic about Mac Jones as a first round pick. I mean, now Mac Jones is you know going to be someone you know compete for some job somewhere else. So it is. It, I was surprised at the four and thirteen number. That's what I've been surprised at. I felt like a coach like Belichick could have got like seven wins out of that team, not four. Yeah, you would have thought, and Vegas agreed with you. I think they were at uh, six and a half or seven and a half to start the season. Ira on Sports True Oldie Channel. We just have about eight or so minutes till we get to John Cole. Are here. Let's hop over to the NFC. Uh, Buccaneers, Carolina. This is not. This is not the, the prettiest game for the Buccaneers. We've seen Baker Mayfield. We like him here on Iron Sports. We've been saying he's you know unheraldly doing a great job. Not beautiful, but they get the win nine nothing over Carolina. Uh, well, unlike Jacksonville, Buccaneers come into this game. They had to win. It was a winner. There, you know, winner done for them, and they won. So they played a team, Carolina, that's playing out of the string. They're playing a team that didn't matter. You know, all those other things. And Buccaneers went and did it. Jacksonville was the one team this whole week that, and Miami to some extent, but I would say Jacksonville, which you know was playing a team that didn't care and just played awful. That's why Jacksonville were criticized Jacksonville because they, but Buccaneers went against Carolina and they won sloppy. They won poor. It was nine, nothing. It was a terrible game, but they still ended up winning the game. Baker, you know, that's great for Baker in terms of making the playoffs, getting the number four seed, hosting the Eagles now between the fourth and the fifth seed. And, uh, you know, I think another thing that Bryce Young, 11 for 18, 94 yards, he ended the year 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, three of them returned for a touchdown. And for a team member, they traded up to make him the number one pick. And 
everything about Bryce Young was, well, we think he's great, but he won't stay healthy. Well, he's staying healthy, but he's just playing bad. <laughs> and, and you look at, you know, as you look at the, uh, you know, I look at C.J. Stroud and how well C.J. Stroud plays and the fact that, that you know, that this now the number one pick of the draft that Carolina had is going to be drafted by Chicago. They traded two number ones, other players, everything to get Bryce Young. You know, they should have traded back to get C.J. Stroud or, the, or worked around to get that. It, the, the mistake was, we'll see. Bryce Young, it's only first year, one year, they fired the coach general manager by bad for Carolina. But look, I give the Buccaneers credit. Brady leaves, they come back, they get in the playoffs. Everyone thought everything was going to fall apart for the Buccaneers. They win the division. Congratulations to them. Yeah, like you said, Panthers, uh, general manager Fitterer fired today. So yeah, they're, they're cleaning house there. They're going to start fresh in Carolina. Definitely not throwing in the book on Bryce Young yet, but when you compare it to what C.J. Stroud's done, it doesn't look good on paper. Dallas and Washington, Ira, and Dallas does what they do. And, and I, I said, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago, man, C.D. Lamb's putting together quite the campaign, finishing strong. I mean, this is be- between Dak and C.J., this is a really dangerous team. I, neither of us really think anyone could beat San Francisco in the NFC, but if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be Dallas. I don't think Detroit can beat them, but I think that that, that shows what happened last week. Dallas, by beating Washington, they then now are the number two seed. Remember, the San Francisco has the bye. The Ravens have the bye. The only two teams with five. Dallas now is the number two seed. They'll play two home games, and then they would be on the road against San Francisco. But this was big for Dallas in terms of just getting, you know, winning, not messing around with Washington, getting a big lead. Bryce, you know, Dak played great. CD played great. But uh, that, the controversial win over Detroit last week, Detroit is going to be, because Detroit looked good this last week beating Minnesota, which we're going to talk about in a second. But the fact is, they, if they lose that game and the call goes a different way, then Detroit's going to host the game between two and three. So that was so important. But I felt like, look, Dallas had to do this to just to, just to, this is, again, they were playing a team that didn't care and they blew them out. They did what they had to do. We get back to Jacksonville. Jacksonville did not do what they had to do. Rumor was that they were going to wait till to, today's Ron Rivera's birthday. So rumor was they were going to wait till tomorrow to fire him. That didn't end up being true. R- Riverboat Ron uh, got let go today. I'm interested to see what happens with Eric Bieniemy now. Uh, what, what's going to happen? I mean, they're not promoting him to head coach. Is he out of the organization completely? Is he going to be the head coach somewhere else? What do you think is going to happen with Bieniemy? Well, I think Josh Harris, who bought the team for a record amount of money, is going to you know, make all changes. I think everything's on the table for what he has to have and what he's going to do. Uh, so I think that there, you know, I think there's a there's a point where you're going to see wholesale changes. I don't I don't think they would keep the enemy. I don't unless they. I don't think they were excited with the offense. I, I, I don't know. You know, it's a, a situation with Washington is, again, this is going to be – I thought they played at stages. Sam Howe played well. I think there were times of the year where Washington played well, but just the consistency. Was Their there. defense is so horrible. With new, yeah, with a new <laughs> owner with a new owner coming into this, I think you're going to see what Tyrus did, which he bought the team in the middle, you know, beginning of the year. You're going to see wholesale changes for Washington. See, like, for me, what you said is true. Offense was inconsistent, but – you saw Sam Howell go out and throw 350-yard games, two, three touchdowns. The offense isn't the most skilled and still hung a lot of points. They're the 32nd-ranked defense, the worst defense in the league. It's hard to win games like that. I don't know if I put it all on them. I just think that's interesting. Like what's going to end up happening uh, there with enemy and what, what his future holds? Because he went there to eventually get a head coaching job, and I don't know if this really put him in the best spot, which going to Washington kind of never does for anybody. Minnesota and the Detroit. Emmy, the, the, the Emmy's interesting because he left Kansas City. And everyone, his, the criticism of him at Kansas City was that Andy Reid is calling all the plays. It's not the enemy. And it doesn't matter when the Emmy leaves. Well, their offense has been horrendous this year. So then he's helped a little bit because he, because I think he's helped more by subtraction than addition. Yeah. I, think he did a, okay, I think he did a good job with Washington, with Hal and working with, but clearly the idea that when he left Kansas City after they won the Super Bowl last year and now they're terrible on offense, you're like, well, maybe he did. Maybe he did play a role in this, and Andy Reid's not making all decisions. So I think that I think he's more helped by the fact that Kansas City looks like what they do now, as opposed to when he was there. They say, "Oh, who are they? You know, who do they need? Is it Reid and Mahomes?" Well, Miami's not the one element that's not there from last year. They won the Super Bowl, and they've been terrible at offense. Let's talk about uh, Detroit, Minnesota. We brought them up before. Uh, Detroit wins this game, thirty to twenty. Gets the number three seed. Should have been the number two seed. Uh, obviously, some controversy at the end of the Cowboys game. I, I will die on the hill that uh, Detroit should have won that game. But my number two man crush in the league after C.J. Stroud being number one has to be Amon Ross St. Brown. This guy's just a beast. Going to be really hard to contain this team. I'm worried about Sam Laporta. Got injured at, towards the end of this game. Not exactly sure what his status is going to be. But he's a huge part of their offense going into the playoffs. 
It was so funny. You know, Monte Brown was not chosen to the Pro Bowl, and I had somebody who was playing in fantasy. Some teams actually do play 17 weeks of fantasy, and they asked me what, what player they should start. And I looked at the thing, and I said, you're not going to start a Monte Brown? Like, he's going to have the greatest <laughs> game of all time, because he was so mad about that, because he had this amazing year playing for Detroit, the team that's a number three seed, and, and not to be in the Pro Bowl when he's offensive star wide receiver but boy Detroit when Detroit is going they look good they finished 12 and 5 Matt Campbell or Dan Campbell great coaching job tremendous performance and Detroit's you know moving up there and this is this is good for them when this game looked at you know Minnesota with all the injuries and Cousins at, at, at quarterback and Justin Jefferson being injured in the year they finished the year 7 and 10 but you but big win for Detroit this was this and this is like we talked about uh, Michigan building at Mount Everest. Detroit last year, remember, they built, you know, they won that game against Green Bay when it didn't matter at the end of the year, and they built upon that to this year to win 12 games. See what they're not going to win Super Bowl this year, but let's see what happens then the following year. You know, it's just building something up, and that was a big win for them, and, and they're going to be the three seed. Yeah, trajectories as far as they go, it's definitely an upward rise for uh, for Detroit. Philadelphia can't say the same thing. You talked about leaking oil to the finish line. It's their their transmission fell off. I mean, this thing it's getting pulled by mules at this point. Philly loses to the Giants. This was their division to win, Ira. They lost five of their last six games, two of them being to the Cardinals and the Giants. It's just inexcusable. And I look at Philly. You know, you you mentioned earlier, like with Kansas City, like you still trust them. I don't think I do. I, 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 I don't think I trust Kansas City or the Eagles to make a deep playoff run, even though they were Super Bowl teams last year. Wow. I mean, this again, they've lost five of the last six games. I think the Jets game was the start of the whole disaster when they lose to the Jets. You're like, what happened with Philadelphia? But everything is falling apart. Offense. I mean, this team, it's amazing. The score, I thought they hadn't played their starters because Philadelphia needed Dallas to lose to Washington in order to win the division. Detroit also lose. So there was a chance to get that, but it was an issue where they would move up and, you know, was it, it, there was, they needed Dallas to lose. So maybe they were nervous and went to rest their starters, but they, they played their starters. They played, they played the win and still we're down 24 nothing. So to the Giants, which is embarrassing, uh, just a terrible performance. This team is, you're right. I mean, I, I don't, they're not going to be Tampa. Like this team is done. Like they're finished. I, I don't see them. They cannot stop this. And Hurts has played terrible. A.J. Brown, uh, you know, potentially injured. Uh, but with a team that's loaded with so much talent uh, from the offense and defense side, this is one of the worst performances i just cannot believe that philadelphia this last six games and how they played and then been out of there and again you know at one point when they beat the cowboys you're like okay they're ready to go they they're going to challenge the they're lost to san francisco in you know that was bad but san francisco beat them i think that showed something but then it just seemed everything fell apart for them against anybody and uh something happened to them and sirianni is you know he's going to keep his job for next year he did a but you saw what the eagles did with peterson after one super bowl if they don't do well next year sirianni's gonna be out of a job just one year removed from the super bowl oh i know plenty of eagles fans who want him fired today <laughs> in the playoffs but yeah losing to the bucks next week would not be a good thing green bay and chicago a lot of people like Chicago in this game. I'm not quite sure why. I'm not really buying into the Justin Fields train. But Jordan Love's another weird story. They get the win, uh, 17 to 9. But like, if you listen to national media, some people are on the fence of Jordan Love's a franchise quarterback, sign him a big extension. Other people are saying this guy's a bomb. Get rid of him. I can't, there's kind of like no in between with Jordan Love. Had a good game, but I still don't know if I trust Green Bay. Well, is this a theme that we've been saying for this whole show in terms of the NFL? One team, Green Bay, needed to win. They were playing Chicago. That really had that had no chance to make the playoffs. They win their game. Green Bay is the seventh seed. Great for Green Bay. They're in. They beat a team that that was playing out the string. Justin Fields didn't have a chance. They won. The only team that really had its, you know, was Jacksonville. Jacksonville was the one team that was that they what they did was just inexcusable. But yeah, it was a sloppy game. It was bad. Jordan Love played, oh, you know, three touch, three hundred yards, two touchdowns. They were two and five. Now they won seven of the last ten. I don't expect them to do well in the playoffs. But look, Aaron Rodgers didn't go to the playoffs his first year. Uh, the fact that last year they, they, you know, Aaron Rodgers in the, in the winning needed to win the game, but lost to Detroit. Jordan Love in his final game wins that game. Yeah. I can give Jordan Love credit. Yeah. Good win for them. 
But it's just, I think the more I keep saying good win for Green Bay, good win for all these other teams, good win for Tampa, it just looks at Jacksonville and say, you could not get to the playoffs with uh, just uh, inexcusable playing a Tennessee team. And this, to me, that's the story of the weekend with that and the Dolphins lost. Let's wrap it up here with, uh, before we get to uh, John Cole, start with San Fran and the Rams. Really nobody playing in this game. <laughs> San Francisco had it buttoned up already. Rams knew they were in the playoffs. We got to see Carson Wentz make an appearance. But uh, San, uh, Rams get the win over San Fran, who really had nobody out there. It was, it's just like one of the best rivalries in pro football, but they really, that's what, there were really not much matter to this game. San Francisco, so they played absolutely no one, very smartly wise. You know, this whole idea that we're going to have two weeks off, it's going to hurt momentum, I think that's gone out the window. When you see the injuries yeah, in the NFL right now, yeah, it's like, just, <laughs> I don't care if it's three weeks off, four weeks off, six weeks off, if you can advance it. But they didn't play Purdy, McCafferty. But what's interesting, the Rams won the game 21 20. Carson Wentz did. But I think what's interesting is it did set, you know, I feel like, I like the Rams a lot. They're going to now play at the Lions. Stafford in Detroit. Lions are favored by three in the playoffs. I like the Rams in this game. I think the Rams have been playing well. I think it's going to be one of the best games of the weekend, and I like them. And then the Packers at the Cowboys. Cowboys are favored by seven and a half to eight. I like the Cowboys, of course, at home to win this. And then the Eagles at the Bucks. I like the Bucks to win at home, two and a half. So I think, so I, think I, I put Cowboys, Rams. And uh, Bucks, but I, I think as much as the great year the Lions have had, I think the Rams are one of these teams that are playing great at the end. And I like the momentum, and I like how Stafford's playing, and just the fact that he's been a quarterback for a decade plus in Detroit, going back home. This is going to be good. This is going to be exciting. That's going to be an exciting game this season. I'm taking Detroit and laying the points in this one. That's the oh, only one boy. we disagree We're on. Disagreement. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll definitely take Detroit. I, I love that offense too much. I hope Sam Laporta can play. Let's go to John Colasar. It's Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. We are so pleased today to have. John Colasar, legendary Michigan football player, coming to talk to us about the Michigan football team. John, thanks for coming to Iris Sports. You must be on cloud nine after the big win in the Rose Bowl. Yeah, big one for the program. You know, Michigan has been on the short end of those uh, as of late, so it's good to see the team, you know, stay uh, true to their mission and persevere through some of the uh, mistakes. And, you know, that's the thing, you know, folks, when, they, when college football, you get the three weeks off. And there's no way any team, and you know, all of them have some jitters as well, really can't mimic the physicality, the speed of the game in those practices three weeks leading up. And so you saw some of that in that first quarter for both teams. Then they settled in, you start seeing the game and making the adjustments, and uh, really one heck of a ball game uh, for both those programs. And the irony is, I, I was kind of looking at this, you know, Alabama having that great history, Michigan having obviously their great history, and both are top two all-time wins in college football history. And ironically enough, that was the sixth meeting, and now there are three and three. So how fitting is that, that the top two all-time winningest programs are also three and three against each other? So, uh, and that stands the test of time. So great, great game for everybody watching, and obviously that's the, the next game following that, you know, follow suit, but what a great night that was for college football. And also the fan bases, both Alabama and Michigan, not just for the victories, but having the most rabid fans, the most devoted fans. I mean, the average ticket price for this game that was you know, hundreds of thousands of miles away from their campuses to bring to the programs. Um, it's just tremendous to be out there. And, of course, you know, so respectful of each other fans. I mean, they have you know, great tailgates tailgate at both places. And, and when they play at the Rose Bowl, it was just awesome, the atmosphere, everything about it. Yeah, no question. You know, I have a special uh... – relationship with the Rose Bowl and Michigan and uh, ironically Alabama, you know, in a couple of instances. And Nick, Nick Saban uh, included me out of high school when he was at Michigan State. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, for me at least, uh, college football in Michigan has been a part of my family for, uh, you know, over, well, Shad played there in 1950. So, so 70 years of uh, Colasar and Michigan football. And uh, it's just a really great experience. And, and, what a great thing we, we created. Obviously, it's going to some major changes, and uh, which rightfully so, as, as anything does. Um, I think hopefully they'll do it right and clean up some of these things that we're seeing. But uh, nonetheless, I agree with you, Ira. This uh, was a great experience for anybody, even if you're not a football fan, just to see the human drama of athletic competition, you know, at the highest level. And, and you know, as, as much as NFL is, 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 is there, the next level for these kids that at that point, you know, they're competing against each other. And I always kind of say that really it is one of the only places that you'll find that you are at the peak physically, mentally, and emotionally. 
and, and performing and having to control some of those things to, to do your job and to execute those plays and, and to deal with the pressures of the situation of not just 100,000 people looking at you, but what, the 30 million watching and then the 50 million afterwards talking about it. So <laughs> I applaud, applaud those kids. You know, not everybody can do it. A very small percentage get the opportunity to do it, and uh, they'll remember that the rest of their lives. Well, you have a special relationship with Coach Harbaugh. He was your teammate in 19 from in 85, at least. You played from 85 to 88 and were the All-Big Ten in 88. In 85, you caught a 77-yard touchdown pass from Harbaugh to beat Ohio State. That's makes you a legend in, you know, for the, as a Wolverine. But when you were playing with Jim, what did you see about, you know, as a teammate that would lead you to believe he would be this uh, great coach? Well, you know, I was a freshman, you know, snot node. Wet, wet behind the ear, you know, I didn't have to say anything. I just had to do my job. And, and I actually came in as a running back uh, back in those days. That's what they did. If you were a good player, you're a running back. You know, a little bit different nowadays. Uh, but, yeah, I, I came in there, and uh, I think part of the reason why I played early was because I blocked. And Michigan was primarily, you know, running football. And this, are, this is coming out of the era of the wishbone, the full house backfield. And so, in those days, we had we had actually every offense. We had a three receiver set. We had four receiver set. We had we had I formation, full house back. We had basically every uh, idea of, of offensive theory back in the day. But primarily, one of the reasons why Bo put me out there and made me switch position, I was fast, but I also was physical and I can block because I came out of the running back uh, position. And I think you know throughout the first half of that freshman year, uh, I got an opportunity to play. We had an injury, and I got in there real early and uh, block. And so I tell people, you know, yeah, I was a wide blocker at the University of Michigan, and, and people get that. And I think even to this day, any kid that I see that plays wide receiver for us, that's the that's guys, you've got to go out there and block. You know, every run that Blake Corm has over 15, 20 yards can be contributed to downfield blocking, and it's such a big play. And it helps you as a receiver because you don't know if you're coming off the ball full head of steam, you're going to run by the guy, or you're going to knock him in the mouth. I think it's very important for the position that they, they maintain that physicality. But as far as Jim's concerned, you know, that, you know, he's a fourth year senior. So back in those days, senior leadership was real important. And, uh, you know, kids go a little early these days. But, but what a great leader, not just him. We had guys like Clay Miller and, and, and Bob Pappuccino and, uh, you know, Bob Perryman, uh, some of these guys that played. Uh, Mike Mallory, who's on staff now. Uh, these guys are fourth, fifth-year seniors, and they're great leadership to watch and basically kind of taught you how to play the ball just by their examples. And I got a chance to play in the league for a couple of years and uh, you know, got a chance to catch some balls from different quarterbacks over the years. And uh, the thing about Jim Harbaugh for me is that he's a winner and he is going to do the things and he's going to put forth the effort. And coming out of college, you know, he was the fastest, didn't have the strongest arm, but still gets drafted in the first round. But I always have confidence. I would take Jim Harbaugh as my quarterback anytime, anywhere, any day, in a game where it's competitive. And that's that's not that's not just giving him the idea of uh, he's that this or this. But the thing too that he has to to remember, we all love to have him back at Michigan because he's a Michigan guy, Michigan man, right? And but he also has Mike Dicka in him. And Lindy Asante, George Seifert, Ted Marchabroda at Indianapolis. And Ted Marchabroda was my coach at Buffalo. And he was something else as far as the the science of football in general. So he had 15 years of NFL experience in that mind of his. So he really knows different games, different theories, different ways to win games. He's probably been part of the greatest wins and the greatest losses on either side. And so, you know, from that perspective, that, that experience goes a long way when leading the team. You know, the pressure for Harbaugh this year is a little un- is unlike a lot of teams. I, there's been coaches that have health issues that have had to step away from the team. But to have the two suspensions and the team still stay undefeated, still stay dominant, to have the assistant coaches and the captain lead the team, it's pretty impressive that, you know, the, the idea is do you really need Harbaugh? Well, you, you, know, you know, it shows the coach's greatness that the team can still operate when the coach isn't there. Yeah, and that's a testament to the philosophy of, of, you know, we like to say Michigan and, and bringing that in, that idea, and not say it's unique to Michigan. I don't think, you know, I believe Alabama probably do the same thing, uh, some of these other places with these great coaches that lend that self, because it's not just about winning football games, although that's how they're measured, and that's how they're looked at, and that's how people want. But if they do it the right way, 
and they're teaching these kids through the win, just looking at doing their job, executing play by play, and taking that to heart. And your seniors, the veterans, and they might not be the guys that you see that cross the goal line, and typically that's not the case. They're going to be the other guys. You know, I think Carson Barnhart is a, was a journeyman offensive lineman, and he was the sixth offensive lineman throughout the year, and then Zach Sinter goes down. Now he's in as a starter, and, and he made a nice pulling, uh, he was pulling guard on that, on that overtime play and, and a nice block on the safety to spring Blake Horm in. And, but he's been there for five years, and I think somebody was cracking on the program because we had a lot of old guys on the team. Well, that's what you want. That's what college football is, and sometimes that maturity takes – place of, of, of athleticism and, and you're going to minimize some mistakes and you're going to have that, that stoic approach. So I think that has benefited Michigan. These guys have been through a couple of CFTs already, you know, learned their lessons. They weren't ready in two years ago for sure, but they got there. They got learned experience. The Georgia team, Kirby Smart, put his team together. Now Kirby is trained in the Nick Saban, right? So we start looking at coaching trees and the philosophies and things like that, and you'll see a lot of similarities. Um, I like to say I always say this too, there's a swath of land between, you know, Chicago and State College, Pennsylvania, and it's the I-80 Turnpike. And so it goes right through Canton, Ohio, and you're 90 miles north and south, Cleveland, Columbus, you throw Cincinnati, you throw Detroit in there, you got South Bend, Morgantown, you got Pittsburgh, all of the great coaches, all the great players, all the great people that were born, played, coached, lived in that area have created some lineage. And if you look at the SEC, without Nick Saban, without Urban Meyer, without Les Miles, how many, how many national titles they have in the last 20 years? So right. there's an aspect to that high up that style of football and how you get it, how you interact with the folks that, that learn from it makes a difference. And I think you have some kids on the Michigan team that, that are part of that, certainly. And then, you know, as I mentioned, Mike Mallory's on the staff, Doug Mallory's on the staff. There are sons of Bill Mallory who coach with soul at Miami of Ohio, and the list goes on and on, the similarities in how these stuff works with these teams. And, uh, and it plays in, it plays in there. You see it. And then not to say that the West Coast offense doesn't win a few, not to say that Chip Kelly's stuff does some stuff, but I think over the test of time, you have this basic fundamental football philosophy, and that's leadership, senior leadership, teamwork, hard work, push all those good things we like to talk about. And then an embodiment of that for Michigan is Blake Corum, um, his performance, again, against Alabama was tremendous. It seemed like, you know, willing in overtime that was not going to be stopped, was going to score that touchdown. And even the, on the fourth down play, when it was like down to that final play or the game was going to be over, he was able to catch the pass and, and, and break some tackles. And it's just it, 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 that, you know, the fire. It was the first time, you know, he was on the, real close to the field, and I saw his size. He's not that big a guy in terms of height. But in terms of his size and his build, it's just it's, it's like almost impossible to tackle him. But you just see the fire in his face. And uh, that, I think, is, you know, an embodiment of the entire Wolverine program. Yeah, toughness. And, not, again, not to say the other team has it, but, you know, him in particular, you know, that play you mentioned, the fourth and two play, that was, to me, I agree, I think that was the biggest play of the game because that they were on, what, on the 30-yard line or something and uh, the fourth and two. And that's... You know, sometimes that pass, as easy as it is as it may look, is one of the hardest passes to catch because some of you have a tendency to take your eye off it and look upfield, right? We always see that uh, receivers take their eye off the ball and hit them in the chest and bounces. So that was a tremendous play for him and to, to give a new lease of life, a new set of downs. But, yeah, throughout his career, you know, he had to go through some adversity last year when he hurt his knee and some off-season, and I think that builds the character and resolve as well. Um, and, you know, he's just one tough kid. The, uh, you know, his stats are, you know, we had Jamie Morris when I played, and Jamie was all a 5'7", you know, 180 pounds, stripping wet, but one of the toughest kids on the team. And, uh, you know, you, you, you know, you kind of kind of build through that, and that's part of that adversity, part of that experience. But uh, he certainly has uh, made the plays at the right time, and, uh, but all credit, credit is due our own line. Right, so those guys in the trenches, and I think you see it all the time when you know our D line as well. Last week or last uh, Monday, you know, doing the doing the job, and it's good to some some of our, our purists love it, right? You don't you don't want to throw 49 points on the on the 400 yards passing. Yeah, that's all exciting for the fans, but see these guys battle, and it's a war, and it's in the trenches, and, you, and if you really focused on watching O line D line play. 
and you really start getting appreciation for it. And uh, without those guys, you know, Michigan wouldn't be where they are. Well, the game is going to start in the next hour, which we're doing the show. We taped this show last week, but J.J. McCarthy, uh, I saw two years ago in Georgia, was sharing the duties of Cade McNamara in terms of the quarterback. Yesterday, last year against TCU, just an uneven open start of that game, never really recovered, or they were too far down. And then against Alabama, the game, you know, first pass, almost intercepted, a little shaky at the beginning, but I think that experience helped as he settled down into the game, was able to lead the Wolverines on that great drive at the end of the game to, 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 take, the, to take the lead to tie, really. Yeah, he, uh, you know, I think, again, I think with Harbaugh as quarterback, and this is what Bowles rules, there's two rules of being a quarterback. And get us in the right play and don't turn the ball over, right? <laughs> and that's pretty – now we're asking quarterbacks to do everything, and, and I think a little bit unfair. So you look at, you know, I think you look at the Heisman Trophy, and, you know, I, I you know, disappointed. It's all about statistics, stuff like that. But if you truly look at a quarterback play – and how uh, balanced they need to be to be successful. And, and take nothing away from Kate McNamara. Kate McNamara, when he took Michigan to, to that game, you know, he wasn't fleet on foot for sure. But he got him in the right play, didn't turn the ball over, and those are the first two things you need to do as a quarterback to, to you know, have, a, have a chance to win. Now, can you make a play? Can you scramble out of the quarterback? Can you scramble out of the pocket? Those are things that, you know, lead to that, you know, uh, Jaden Davis, right, for the Heisman Trophy, you're winning your feet. But, again, these are things. So, you know, I think J.J. was considered or in the running up to the Penn State game, and all of a sudden he goes 7-9 or something like that, and he just got plummeted. Well, that 7-9 was, first of all, whatever percent that is, right? He had a QB rating of X, right, didn't turn the ball over, and we had to adjust our offense to combat Penn State's edge rushers, which probably both those kids might go in the first round this year. And so we put the pull house line in the heavy package and ran 32 times. It wasn't a, uh, anything against J.J. McCarthy's ability. I mean, he might have had a bad wheel, he had an ankle or something like that, so maybe he couldn't be as mobile. But that was the team. And I think if people follow Michigan, we have this model that Bo mentioned in 1982, and there's a clip on YouTube, you can watch it. You know, it's the team, the team, the team. Right, so right, what exactly. we do for the team and unselfish, and that's, and you know, in this day in NIL, becomes even more important because sometimes the NIL will bring in some toxicity to a program if they lose that, that, that uh, idea of the team. And so J.J. has been that guy. He's been, uh, has, has performed when he needed to. You know, certainly there are going to be mistakes. You know, that, that position is hard as it is. And, you know, I think, you know, anyone who's played, like I mentioned earlier, that you can't prepare to be off for three weeks for the speed, the physicality, the emotion of that game. So, uh, you know, that first play, yeah, I think he probably went through it out of bounds, but maybe he didn't anticipate the athleticism of that kid, right? So it wasn't, you know, to making the right choice, making the right decision, just didn't get high enough, right? But so from that perspective, you know, get settled in, get that first quarter jitters out of the way. Because, you know, anybody had adrenaline rush knows you have to kind of lose a little bit of muscle control, right? So you get a little excited, you get a little fired up, your heart's racing 100 miles an hour. And uh, once you settle in, though, then, then, you're, then you're all into it and doing the things that, that your practice has prepared you for. So I thought he did a real nice job of maintaining the composure on that last drive. Well, we've been talking to John Colasar, Michigan Wolverine legend, and with a son on the team right now playing, so that's exciting. But thanks a lot, John, for coming on. I know the game's about to start, and uh, we'll see what happens. But it'll be great, and it's great to be giving some of that perspective of the Michigan tradition uh, that you embody in terms of coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sarah, and uh, go Blue. Go Blue. Okay. All right, Ira, so you're at the national championship game, which started about a half hour ago. What's your plans for the rest of this week? Well, we're going to see what happens. I, I'm going to go to one game this weekend. 
I'm either going to go to Tampa uh, uh, against the Eagles on Monday night, or I'll fly up to Buffalo to see the Steelers' bill. So one of those two games we're going to see. Uh, but I was hoping to see a couple games in Florida, like you know the, the Dolphins. They used a chance the Steelers would play the Dolphins. I was hoping you know, there was even a point of the game where they tied Buffalo might would have tied the Steelers would play at the Miami, which would have been perfect to see. But that didn't happen. But uh, we'll see what happens. So I'll see one of the games this week, and of course I'm going to go to the National Championship game. I'm at the National game as we're recording doing the show right now. We are out of time, John Colasar. Thank you so much. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.